This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of Spits and Suds. So great to have you. I'm Gavin Spittle of 105.3 The Fan, joined by EP Ringside, Shap Shots, D Magazine. You know him. You love him. He's our NHL guy. He's Sean Shapiro, keeping an eye on the World Juniors, keeping an eye on the stars. I mean, just the hockey's rolling in the Shapiro household, a busy time of year. It is, it is. And it's, uh, should we be waving the... Uh... Obviously, still work to be done. Obviously, but should yeah. be. I mean, still work to be done on the in, in World Junior. But we, uh, after uh, the can the Canadians lost the Czechs yesterday in the quarterfinals in a bit of a stunner. Should we? Uh, we should all be uh, getting ready to uh, celebrate. I think something on Friday, hopefully. So still work to be done, but uh, it's a good time for American hockey. And um, there's something that feels a little sweet about the American team winning World Juniors because. Um, it's like the, when the Canadians win and everything like that, Americans pretend we don't care, but when Canadians win, they can't pretend they don't care because yeah. they really care. So yeah, I, I responded to a tweet from Jessica Pauls yesterday and she said, and I wanted to get your opinion before we jump into the stars performance last night against Montreal. Um, she says, and she posted two pictures. Thrilled to share my new prize possession, a signed Michael Ruzioni jersey, a photo capturing his iconic winning goal. Grateful for the kindness of this amazing man. This piece of history is beyond words. It's not just memorabilia. It's a lifelong treasure. I responded, congrats, Jessica, as important. The Ruzioni family is well known for being great humans. I've never actually mentioned this on his podcast. I know Mike's brother, Vincent. He's the director of athletics at my alma mater and a real, real nice guy. Uh, so I just said stick, t- stick tap on your lifelong treasure. But I did add USA Hockey thrives because of Mike and his 1980 teammates. Now, I know it was a long time ago, Sean, and I know that a lot of players today wouldn't know necessarily about 1980 unless they watched Miracle as a kid, uh, Miracle on Ice. But at the same time, like I really felt as though that kind of kick-started the whole support of USA hockey as far as nationalism. And I wanted to get your kind of take on that. Oh, I mean, this is so much like the movie miracle actually does a really great job with yeah. all of this. Cause it's, um, no, I wasn't, I didn't witness this live. I'm not that old, so I'm not going to pretend, but I've read, my history, I've, I've, I've read my, I've read my history and I've, I've, I've done, um, consider myself uh, well read on the subject. Like, the thing that the thing that 19 that the USA at USA hockey had in the 198 with the 1980s with the 1980 Olympics and everything like that um and I think it sometimes gets lost it gets lost if you just think of all oh, the United States it's it's such a great it's it's a great story already when you say oh it's a bunch of amateurs who beat basically professionals gold medal because that's basically what it was it was college players amateurs and the russians were were professionals um and so it's already a good enough story but that undersells how big it really was gavin right because it wasn't just a hockey game it was the height of the cold war it was the historically speaking it was um we're talking lines at gas stations. Yeah, yeah. There's we're, we're you're talking, talking morale yeah. was really low. We're talking yeah. about hostage crises with Iran. Just a lot of stuff happening at that time. Yeah. So it's the it's the flash. It's it's kind of the flashpoint of history for 
everything where kind of athletic endeavor can kind of be that shining light that things in the United States were going to turn around, right? Yeah. And I think that that's something that is gets lost on what uh we we don't get that in hockey as much anymore. Right. A because um a because international hockey doesn't happen as often now. Um that we used to have uh every year I like to I always like seeing the clips that come out from the 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 video clips that come out from the nineteen seventy nine or sorry, not seventy nine. What year was the uh that seventy six the the New Year's Eve game between the Canadians and the and and and, and Red Army that was arguably one of the greatest games ever. Yes, like, yeah. Like we we used to get like international hockey used to hold a lot more and yeah. there used to be more unknown and the world is such a connected place and everything like that and so, um. At the end of the day, and I think we still get this in some other sports. Like, um, I think there's because soccer for example is such a global sport and you have teams on even playing fields and everything like you get moments like this that are still possible but in hockey right um and this is nothing against the ukrainian like hockey program but at no point are the ukrainians going to beat the russians in hockey just like this there's just not yeah there's not that kind of reality to it so um that 1980 team i think it's it's a really, uh, I don't think it's lost. I think everyone knows about it, but right. I think the farther away we get from it, the more we kind of, the other important parts of it, as opposed yeah. to, oh, the U.S. won a gold medal. Right. It was a gold medal that meant so much more. And I think what it meant kind of sometimes gets lost as we keep going forward, because it meant more to everyone than just to what it meant to USA Hockey um, and, and things like that, if, it, if that makes sense. It does. Me. And I love what you said about amateur versus pro. A lot of people need to know that a tour happened prior to that, and the USA team got walloped by Russia. Um, I mean, it wasn't even close. And I think what, for me, made it the ultimate team concept is now, years later, I look back, and this is not disparaging to me, which was the greatest group, uh, like a single team formed, maybe in the history of our American sports, as far as what they were able to accomplish against all odds, that further is enhanced by really, it's not like 10 of them made a huge NHL run. Basically, Neil Broughton probably was the best NHLer of the bunch. I know Dave Silk played some, um, you know, Jim Craig had a little bit of run with the Atlanta Flames, played for the Bruins for a little bit. But, I mean, really, there weren't really, like, NHL future all-stars on this team. Yeah, um, like, I don't think, um, like, let's see. Because, like, you mentioned Irizioni, right? Like, Irizioni yes. did not play, I don't think he played a single pro no, hockey game. He like, that's, that, that's a piece of, like, quote-unquote, bar trivia where I think you would stump somebody. Where, yes. like, Mike Urizioni's last competitive hockey he played was for the U.S. Olympic team. Yes. He never played a... He never played after that. And um, the... I mean, I would say probably... Obviously, Broughton has his number retired in, in Dallas. Um, Ken Morrow was, was, was one who... I wasn't a superstar, but Ken Morrow was had Ken Morrow had a won four Stanley Cups with the Islanders. I think he he was one, he, but he wasn't a superstar player. He was just right. kind of a, one of a, one of the rocks on that team. Um, so the other thing that was kind of interesting about that team, and it's something that why that team came together, and I think the movie Miracle does a really good job of showing this story and kind of. We see now, and it's funny because this is around the time of World Junior and, and everything like that, right? Like these international teams get thrown together, and then they, uh, they, they, they get thrown together, and then they just, uh, they, 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 they come together for these tournaments and they play and everything like that, right? Um, the it was normal in the '80s and even in the '90s. 
that you would have it, the Canadian national team and the American national team would be full season teams that would play the whole year um, leading up to the event. So it was yes. a full team together. Like um, the, like, for example, they make a big, um, if you go and watch the, you'll watch Miracle, right? There's uh, the, uh, is, there's Ralph, there's Ralph, Ralph Cox, right? He's the guy with the, he's got the classic 80s mustache in the movie, right? And he's the last, he's the last cut that's not going to Lake Placid, right? Okay. People don't realize, and I just looked this up, Ralph Cox played 31 games with Team USA that year. This wasn't just, hey, you're getting the last cut oh, yeah. out of camp. Like, he spent an entire year with this team. This team played, Team USA played 66 games that year. So I think that sometimes gets lost too. When that team was built, it wasn't just, oh, it's a built team of college kids built from, um, team of college guys built, uh, and that just came together in February. It was built over the long run. Um, and that's something that just in today's day and age, we'll never get again. We'll never get that type of team building for international hockey ever again. It's just not reality. They'll never have the time for that. And, um, I really hope you have a way to get me back on track here, Gavin. No, I'm just like, I, I also I'm just, just going I, deep. Yeah, I mean, so. it's really, it's really funny because we talk about guys, you know, not being in the NHL uh, from yep. that team, which made it special. I mean, our own co-host here, 17 years in the league, two-time Stanley Cup winner, Craig Ludwig was cut from that team. So mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, he says because he did it because he was partying all weekend uh, during <laughs> during the trials, but it it was definitely special, and I'm glad we could go back. Um, but you're right. I think it's special what USA hockey is doing now. I think it's Mm -hmm. arguable that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, this is one of the great moments for USA hockey, both at the pro and amateur level right now, as far as when you look at the superstars or elite talent, many are from this country and many are from this country, like Jason Robertson from California, like, uh, Austin Matthews from Arizona. I mean, they're not your typical, because when we looked at that 1980 team, one of the things that made Herb Brooks so great was basically in those days, you played college hockey in the New England area, mostly in Boston or Michigan and Minnesota, and Mm -hmm. they hated each other. And those were the rivals. And so to take kids from Michigan and Minnesota with Boston kids or New England kids it just normally wouldn't mesh, and it did. Yeah. The interesting thing with USA Hockey in the long run, Gavin, and I think it's something that um, I think the the well-versed hockey fan knows, but it's, it's the spot where, like, Mike Madonna is not the highest-scoring American of all time. Ooh, I yes. know as much as, like, it's it's something where it's like, it's 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 celebrated but there's the reason that we always have to throw the modifier in there of the highest highest scoring american born player because brett hull was american brett hull had a had a dual passport chose to play for the americans and brett hull scored more points than mike madonna he had more he had more goals than mike madonna brett hull was the like and um it's just it's kind of it will be It'll be nice, right? And it'll, it'll take a long time for, for history and tens and fifteens of years for it to go. But it'll be, for the longest time, the le- the leading goal scorer in American hockey history was a, someone who was Canadian born. When that person, when in the future, the Austin Matthews, the Jason Robertsons of the world are in the top ten lists for these like all-time points for americans that's gonna to me kind of is gonna kind of show that just more of the long-term growth of the game from canadians who happen to have parents who are american and stuff like that like and i'm not trying to like crap on usa hockey it's just it's just the reality of the the sport is it's obviously it's come a long way and it's great and there's so many as you said there's so many hughes brothers the jason robertson's of the world uh right um but there is something to be said about until someone until someone passes Brett Holt, the person 
who scored the most points with an American passport wasn't born in the United States. And not, not that you have to be born in the United States to be an American. I'm not saying that. It's just, it's, I love that we're seeing because of, let's give the Arizona Coyotes credit. Austin Matthews exists as a hockey player because of them. Yes. The, the LA Kings credit because of Jason Robertson. Um, there's uh, four kids on this USA World Junior team right now who grew up playing hockey in Florida. These are hockey talents, elite athletes that aren't playing the sport in right. a prior generation. Right. And it's a great thing to see. Yeah, so. you're no, you're absolutely right. I mean, just even here locally, Sean, the the Jones brothers. I mean, the dad was in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that would be the path, but yeah. you know, yep. they saw hockey, liked hockey. And, yep. you know, Blake Coleman's another great example. Uh so I, you know, I, I definitely I know you said get back on track. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. We will. But to me, it's like a big part of this podcast is the education level um, that we like to talk about things. And, yeah, we are stars focused. However, you know, USA hockey is a massive part of the growth of this sport. Specifically, I'm going to point out college hockey, which is thriving right now. And you're seeing college hockey in these really cool, unique stadiums popping up on these campuses. And it's becoming the thing to go to. Uh, for the kids and, you know, around the holidays, I went to see Boston University, Quinnipiac, amazing atmosphere and amazing hockey. I mean, granted, they're two of the top five in the country, but it was just a special atmosphere. And and, and I'm just so glad that, you know, hockey is being able to thrive, whether it's minors, whether it's nationalism or whether it's in the college ranks. And we're seeing, you know, the just the massive amount of growth in the youth levels. So. It's a pretty interesting conversation. So, sir, yeah. I'm glad we went down that rabbit hole and <laughs> yeah. we go to the stars last night. So they were on a run and we talked a lot, Sean, last year about, well, you know, over time, you know, everything's going to change with the regular season. Well, there was a streak going where the stars were certainly putting on a show for the locals where they were winning in overtime in thrilling fashion, sometimes in the final seconds. Uh, almost got it to overtime last night, but uh, fell a little bit short. They were down four to one. All of a sudden, pot two late goals. It's four to three. About you know two three minutes left. A lot of you know frantic mayhem in front of the net, and uh, fall a, a goal short. So wanted to get your thoughts uh, last night, but I did want to open with this question because I think stars fans hockey fans and i sometimes wonder this last night because we talk a lot about this podcast like why can't they come out flying well 11 seconds they did <laughs> and then all of a sudden they and, and who, who who scored and 11 Jamie seconds yes. who, who, who do we always talk who do we always put the blame and or credit on for this team starting slow so let's no, uh, you're, give you're, credit give credit where it's due for who came out flying last night right so. <laughs> no you're, you're you're absolutely right so I did want to point out really something. I mean, we talk about a rabbit hole, and I'm not saying that yeah. this was the reason, but they score that goal, they're playing well, and then 16:42. So you know we're just under oh, bad math by me, uh, 3:20 something um, in the opening. There was a delay where the clock wasn't working. And it was a bit of a delay. And I felt after that, like Miami kind of shifted at Miami, geez, Montreal kind of shifted the flow. And I'm not (laughs) saying that's the only reason, but I don't know. I mean, I just felt as though like at the end, and this is what I wanted to ask you at the end, it's frantic. They score two goals. They're dominating. Do you sometimes think like we do? Like, why can't they do this for larger stretches of the game? Um, at times, I mean, there are, for me, hockey can be weird, right? And this is not just about the stars. This is just hockey in general, where it's, there is, there's a time in the game and this is to take nothing away from Dallas did at the end of the game. I don't want to take away from what Dallas did. But there is a time in the game that happens where one team starts to play the score too much. And I felt, in my view of that game watching last night, the Canadians got the call field goal from that made it 4-1 with, uh, at what, about seven minutes into the third period, something yeah. like that. Um, and... 
they and and uncharacteristically not uncharacteristically but they started playing to okay we've gotten the goals we need four one is enough we just now need to survive 13 minutes we don't need to keep playing our same game so i i don't want to take anything away from what dallas did in the third period but i also think there is something to the montreal dial back in the in the end and um so i i do, I do think there's an element to that um i think the the clock stoppage delay everything like that that does lead to that leads to that can cause a, a hurdle to get over and everything like that um i it, it's it's funny like this game this was a classic kind of hockey game where you watched the you watched the first two minutes and you watched the last two minutes and that was all you watched you'd be you'd come away thinking Dallas must have been gangbusters all night and yes. then there's the middle the middle 56 minutes yes yes <laughs> and um this is an interesting concept Gavin when it taught when you talk about why can't they do this for 16? And I think the answer, and this applies to all of hockey, not just the stars, you can't do anything at 100% for 60 minutes. That's a fair you point, yeah. You, you can't empty the tank. Like, like the the vigor and the ferocity you, you, you bring in the last five minutes of the third period. It's like a marathon. You bring that all in the first period. If you don't score five goals in the first five minutes, you've blown all your energy and you're going to get just, you're just going to get slowly beaten down for the net for the final 55 minutes. So I, I I think part of it is we have to remember that these are humans, not robots. I think sometimes we forget that. Um, But it's uh, the time to dial it in the time to when to rise to the occasion is always an interesting question. Now, I I don't think I've answered any question at all. I've just thrown more questions on top of questions, but that's what this is all about, isn't it? Well, I think that's what, if you look at last night, sure. um, Good goaltending from the Montreal side. But at the same time, my contention with the Stars is that obviously highly skilled. But what happens when the passes aren't happening? Like, I just, and I keep going back to the Vegas example. If Vegas can beat you on defense, Vegas can beat you goaltending, Vegas can beat you physicality, and Vegas can certainly outscore you. And I just wonder, like, how many do the Stars have those various skill sets where if one isn't working, they can just turn to another? Well, I don't think they'll ever be the team that beats someone up. That's that's yeah. never That's not how this team is constructed. They're not going to beat teams up i think they are good enough defensively to hunker down and win a defensive game i actually think they are i know some people might disagree with me on that but i think i think with that and a healthy goalie um that's the other thing that's kind of weird with all of this right where last night's game and not that scott wedgwood was bad right but this game could have been this like yeah i i agree with you I like know. like this is this this is one of those games where the sliding scale of if they lose this, they lose this four game four three with Scott Wedgwood in goal. And I have nothing against Scott Wedgwood, but like Scott Wedgwood is a backup goalie who has done admirably filling in. But okay, this if Jake Ottinger plays this game, I think the Stars, I think I think the Stars win this game. Yeah, probably maybe three one four one even. Like I I don't I don't think they're ever down four one. Like I I think that's another kind of sliding scale we have to remember and i know people say oh you use the goalie as an excuse the goalie is this or whatever the goalie is part of the team yes. and I, I i i think it's the sliding scale of equations and people and, and equal footing and everything like that and sam montabu for example i think sam Montabu is a fine young goalie i think it's gonna have a nice little run here it's gonna be interesting to see how they eventually dismount from their three goalie system in Montreal, but yeah. like I would take Jake Ottinger any day of the week over the three Montreal goalies. And um so I, I think we have to remember that too of who was in net because um it's it's the great example of what is climate and what is weather, right? Um 
let's use Vegas, for example, because everyone in Dallas loves to point to what Vegas does effectively and everything like that. Um, Vegas lost the Winter Classic on Monday, 3 nothing. Yes. Joey Decord played a great game. I don't know how many people don't even know who Joey Decord is. I'm sure some people can use context clues that Joey Decord is the goalie for the Seattle Kraken, yeah. but I don't know how many people actually know who Joey Decord is. Yep. I don't see any, or I mean, I haven't been able to find any referendums of failure by Vegas coverage. It's they lost one game. Yeah. And I think there's times we have to remember you lost one game and you did it without your starting goalie. And that's okay. I mean, at the end of the day, and I keep going back to this and um, I think hockey is such a regional and localized sport that we forget we, we don't know what's good and what's bad, right? Like, I think sometimes we see people, Stars fans will get like, oh my gosh, we have these problems and this problem and that problem. There are some teams that would kill to have the Stars problems. Believe me. They would kill to be as flawed as the Stars. Stars are 7-2-1 and one in their last 10. They have, they, they've got a, they are 10-4-3 and three on the road. Like, th- these are the types of things that, like, any team would kill for. And, points like this is a good hockey team and sometimes i feel and i'm not trying to be a slappy and a homer or anything like that but i think sometimes we need to stop back and enjoy the ride and realize that sometimes on the ride the roller coaster of a season there are you run into a dip and a twist and twirl that is a sam montague playing a great game when this is a damn good hockey team this is this is a hockey team that almost that i would argue 26 other fan bases would would willingly trade places with you right now. And I'm not trying to be a star slappy or a homer about it, but I think sometimes we start looking for problems that aren't there. We talk about the real problems. You and I, I feel like we do a good job of talking about that, but sometimes we talk about the problems that aren't there because we feel like we have to be, Oh, we have to be tough and critical when sometimes it's hockey and it's chaotic and Honestly, no team should be winning. No team should be posting a six sixty-seven points percentage in a sport this chaotic. Yet the stars are. I, I it's 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 very it's an interesting place to be, and it's a to me it's a good reflection of how good this team is right now. At the same time, yeah. I hope that all made sense. Once again, it this, does. Is, this is this is this is one of those episodes where at the end, Gavin, I'm going to be like, I don't even know if I said anything worthwhile <laughs> in this entire episode. So, <laughs> at Sean Shapiro and tell him otherwise. Uh, but I, I, I will say, I think one of the one of the good things is is when you see so much passion per game. That means the popularity here in Dallas. Yes, yes, and that's that is good. great. That is that, great. Yes, that is yes, really yes, good. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. absolutely. Okay, I wanted to ask you last night because mm-hmm. you know I see Essa Lindell doing this, and sometimes it doesn't work out. But on the, one the high of those, flip, the high, the high flip play. Well, no, I was going to talk about. I was going <laughs> to. I was going to talk, and you know, because Greg's on vacation, but I wanted to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, the yeah. art of blocking shots. And mm-hmm. Yanni Hockenpah last night actually created a goal because I don't know yeah. of many goalies that would stop and, you know, basically put his stick out and went off the stick and just went top shelf where probably Wedgwood saves that uh, mm-hmm. otherwise. And I guess has the thinking changed because for a while it was like, if you, you might, you got to get in front of it. Otherwise let the goalie have it. And I wanted to get it- your thoughts on, you know, the art of blocking shots, whether it's, with your legs, whether it's with the stick, because I see that so yeah. often now where not not only yeah. can it result in a goal, but you also take away the perfect sight line because that stick going in is blocking, you know, that visual of the puck, which can mean going in or making the save. Well, players front shots now better than they ever have before. Players go out of their way to get square to pucks, block shots, um, Vegas does this a ton. We talk about Vegas a lot on the show. Vegas blocks a ton of shots. They block more shots than um, watching. I don't know the number. I don't have the number in front of me, but they were always high up there in shot blocks and everything like that. And it's not just because the other team has possession. It's because they front shots, keep things to the perimeter. And, uh, and to, 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 to by front shots, what I mean people is you're basically, you're opening your body up and you're, focusing on taking away that shooting lane. Um, I know I said using hacking terminology, I should probably give a little bit of a quick explainer sometimes on that. Um, And it is, 
players are, we talk about levels and we talk about, um, and the point shot, and it's basically, it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing. Like the point shot was basically killed by the shot block. Like you hardly ever see the, the big blast from the point anymore. Correct. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty much obsolete, not obsolete. Eh, It's, it's almost extinct, right? Like it's kind of an endangered species now where the best defensemen float pucks through, they find little seams, they, they get things through levels and, um, goalies have never been better. Um, let me start goalies as athletes have never been better. Statistically speaking, goalies have been better, but as athletes, goalies have never been better. And, um, I'm going to get real nerdy here for a second for some people. Um, and I know that, and I apologize. Um, <laughs> one of the things that Henrik Lundqvist did in the uh, from the time he entered the league, and he was one of the goalies, the rare goalies who did it, and now it's much more common. Um, and uh, uh, Linus Olmark actually almost changed to doing this last year. The Vesna is goalies play deeper in their crease, right? We used to think it was a position where you want to be at top of the crease, take up as much space as possible, yada, yada, yada. Right. That's what it used to be. Goaltending has now become a position where you play deeper in your crease. And Lundquist was one of the first guys who really did this regularly in the quote unquote modern era where you play deeper in the crease because that extra split second to read deflections, to read plays. So goalies would play deeper for that reason. And, um, so if you ever if you're interested, like um, if you if you go watch the next Stars game, look at their look at the feet placement of the goalie. Look where Jake Ottinger is playing. Look where Scott Wedgwood is playing, and, and notice that. Just kind of look all around. Just kind of trying to observe and see where the goalie's standing. And goalies play deeper in their creases now, so they have time to read that. And um, they've gotten better. Goaltenders have gotten better at having that time to block shot to react when a shot is blocked obviously the goal that deflected off Hockenpah last night is one that is an extreme one that goes in and everything like that but because the goalie union basically started playing deeper defenders started got more of the green light to block more shots because less pucks through less guys getting rebounds great that comes with the side effect of there will be deflections that are dangerous and everything like that but goalies have already playing towards that so it's kind of it's kind of part of the whole evolution of the game where tip pucks, block shots, everything like that. They kind of, it's kind of the, the styles make fights pushing back of offense and defense on this. And um, as a, uh, as a sport evolves and as, as everything goes, um, players and offense have had to adapt to it. And it's, uh, and I think some teams have, it's it's why what the modern defender looks like has changed. It's changed everything about the game. Um, it used to be. It even goes down to. Uh, it's it's not as it's, and now a slap shot hurts, but players aren't. There's not big booming slap shots anymore, and um, there's players with hard shots. And don't don't get me wrong on that. There's players with hard shots, but it, it used to be big booming shots and everything like that. But now players are so well protected and guys don't tee up shots like that because those shots don't work anymore. So guys are willing to block the little wristers and the flicksters that go through and everything like that. It's, it's a whole Gavin, this is really sticking with the theme of no one's going to understand what I'm talking with. If you're still listening to this episode, thank you. you for. I'm with you. <laughs> if you're still, I'm here. I'm if, you're still if, if you're still sticking with this episode, thank you. But it is it is a the the block shot from what Craig Ludwig did. Craig, Craig Ludwig yep. did with his massive shin guards yep. that he is still not given to the Hockey Hall of Fame. No, um, <laughs> uh, is is now been really kind of replaced with everyone does it. When Craig was doing it, it was still. It was brave and scary to do it. Yeah. It's not as brave and scary to do it anymore. And I think that's another big part of it. So. All right. Take so... a- anyone, anyone listening at home, if you got anything out of that, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you keep saying that. And yet everyone tells me, I love when Sean does deep dives. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like I said, it's all about learning because these are things that I also like to talk about and like to know, yeah. because the art of the block shot was, you know, certainly 
something that kept you in the league um, and now obviously is the fear of going the other way with these odd man breakouts that just, I mean, hockey's so wide open now. Um, so yeah. on to a massive tilt tomorrow night. Um, we can say that about certain games, but, you know, it adds up. Colorado and you yep. have been jockeying position, and you get them tomorrow on home ice. Going to be a lot of fun. A lot of former stars in the building. Uh, Andrew Cogliano had really nice years with, uh, you know, good room guy, but uh, mm-hmm. also 10 points thus far. He's a plus on the ice. Uh, Yoel Kiviranta, five points. Frederick Olofsson has had eight points this year, and I thought he played really well in a star sweater. Um, and as always, every time he comes to town, it will be talked about Val Nachuskin with 38 points. So it is kind oh, yeah. of a star's <laughs> homecoming of sorts with, you know, four players in the regular lineup. So, you know, I, I think it's interesting. Nathan McKinnon, um, each time I watch him, I say, why isn't Nathan McKinnon talked about more in this league? Um, and I, he's just so special. And Nathan McKinnon's not talked about enough in this league? Not according to I, me. I, I think he's talked okay. about a lot. Okay. But I... I think I think he's a top five player in the world. I don't totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. Okay. Totally okay. agree. But that I completely agree with you, Sean. I'm just saying when I read articles and when I see things, I see McDavid a lot more. I see Matthews a lot more, and they might be ahead of them. But I just think sometimes McKinnon takes a back seat until you watch him in person and you say, "Wow." This is a perfect combination of speed and size and shot. Yeah. Was uh, I mean, he was the only reason the team was watchable seven years ago. Like I remember one yeah. of those, those those times Colorado would come to town, and it was like, oh, this is Colorado. Oh wait, but Nathan McKinnon's playing. Oh, it's fun now. Like he was, yeah. Um, anywho, uh, Colorado, yeah, big game. Um, the big thing I think about Colorado and the Central Division and. I need to go look at the records historically on this because I think the uh as someone who uh has uh been to uh who was in Denver earlier actually I guess that was last month, who was in Denver last month and, and has been there. Um I I think there is something to more and more of the home ice advantage that Colorado has now so because I, I know people have things where they can train and deal with the altitude and everything like that and I know Colorado's a good team but I'm going to read you a I'm going to read you a stat here Gavin I love it okay you ready yep the Colorado Avalanche away from Pepsi Center or whatever it's called now I don't think it's called Pepsi Center anymore no it's not it's still still Pepsi Center in my heart yep me too um uh the Colorado Avalanche on the road eight seven and three at home, sixteen and four. Wow, it's the same hockey team. Yeah, getting the last change does not is not the difference between a ninety point per, an eighty point percentage team and a four and a fifty and a fifty point percentage team. So I know it's 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 just something to think about. And Very interesting. As you as as you look at this and where I'm going with this, I will connect this. I promise. As you look at the Central Division race between Dallas and Colorado and Winnipeg, who also has to account for this too. Um, The Avalanche are going to probably finish this year at home, potentially 30 and 12, maybe like they're going to be ridiculously good at home. When you get them on the road, you have to take advantage. And I think that is, that's where I'm going with this, where you get them at home. It's your opportunity. And the key maybe to not having to spend extra time in Denver in the second round of the playoffs or the first round of the playoffs, depending on how it shakes out is taking care of the avalanche when they are in your building. And I think that is the big thing to think about tomorrow night. Um, when you're watching from our perspective, obviously the players will be thinking about the game and simple yada, yada, yada. But for our perspective, I think this is the type of game where it's a test and everything like that. But if you look at just who the avalanche are on the road, it becomes a game where it's like, okay, you're a good team. Go and do the job against a team who is not a good team away from home. Yeah. 
Let's talk about Val Nachuskin for a second. And Let's talk about Val. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just recap because every mm-hmm. time he comes to town or if the game's in Colorado, Stars fans say, Ugh, here's my opinion. If you want to go after the Stars for drafting him, that's fair to me. But if you want to go after the Stars for buying him out, I don't think that's a proper argument for the reason that the player admits that they did not put the full effort while they were here. They're a changed and, person. Yeah, okay. This this is the this is the D part, right? Yep. You have I, I get it. And I love I love our boy David Castillo, who I, I believe is coming on the show tomorrow night tomorrow after the, after night the game, after right? Colorado Avalanche will do a uh, yeah, and, and, and so so when 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 Val and Pavelski trade four goal games last night, you got tomorrow night you can you guys can have this debate again, right? <laughs> uh, and I and I know because I, I brought this up on Twitter and the first response and David even said it's like, well, buying out two point nine million shouldn't be the difference between bringing in a good veteran player, yada yada yada. Um but Let's look at the facts of this because I know how the stars operate. I've covered this team before. I've covered this team better than anyone in the world at this time. I know that. The stars bought out Val Nachushkin so they could sign Joe Pavelski. The buyout for Nachushkin was literally done 48 hours, less than 48 hours before Pavelski was signed. It was the two were completely connected. Whether you say like, oh, there's paths for both. They could have done both. In Jim Nill's world, it was you bought out Val Nachushkin to... To, to sign Joe Pavelski. And I would make that based off who the two players are. I know Val has a Stanley Cup ring and everything like that. And he, no matter how good he is right now, I would not trade what Joe Pavelski has done for the stars in the past five years for that. I wouldn't, I would not do that. So I, I, I think that's, I think that's, that's, that's point one. The other point is Val Nachushkin was never going to become the player he is in Colorado and Dallas. Same reason Jack Campbell was never going to be the starting goalie in Dallas. Um, and now Jack has struggled in Edmonton because in Edmonton, they've basically given him the same problems he had in Dallas and and and, and they basically took away the advantages he had in Toronto. Um, Jack, so Val bought out, got humbled, and kind of as a human being, worked his way back up. Good for him. It was never going to happen in Dallas. He was never going to be able to overlive the hype and the expectation. Just like, you know what? Matt Duchesne was never going to be able to live up to that contract in Nashville. Correct. And look what he's and look what he's gotten in Dallas after the buyout. Yep. It's ju- it's just the reality of it. And on top of all of that, with on top of everything with with Val Nachushkin, it be and it, top of it being the smart decision and, and everything like that. He wasn't like it's not like he was good during that season and this is the like people will be like oh he had no goal and this is one of david's points i know is like he had no goals and no penalty minutes that season but he was still good defensively i don't care if he was still good defensively he was making three million dollars a year i don't want a guy making three million dollars a year who can't score that time he he had lost all confidence he had lost everything and and the other thing the other thing i always hear about nachushkin is all the stars needed to wait they could have seen what could played out they waited six years. Yeah, I have a child who's younger than that. Right, like you waited, like like you, like they waited six years for the for for him to come together. They gave him a chance to go back to Russia and came over, and he struggled. Like, like it just was time to go. Like yep. it's the it's the it's the classic. It's like a a couple that's together, and 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 you're and and they spent the last. It's like a couple that spent six years together in the last three years. Everyone else could see, you know what? This doesn't work. You really need to get away from each other. And finally they did. And you know what? Now they're both happy. And it's like, that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. It's it's the, the stars. The stars are out of their relationship with Val Nachushkin and they're happy and, they sh- and, they're, and, they're, and, they're, and they've moved on. Yep. You know what? The Nachushkin is out of his relationship with the stars and he's happy and he's moved on. They they see each other every once in a while. They have an awkward chuckle and, and, and they play a hockey game. That's yeah. it. It and happens it's, in sports. It's not, it happens. It's so. I and I will yeah. say this. Yeah. I will further your point by saying, like when people say things like, "Oh, I should have kept him around longer." Oh, he would have changed. Oh, that's on the stars. Is it on the Bruins that they let Tyler Sagan go? Is it on? the Montreal Canadiens, that they let Mike Ribeiro go? 
Like, how come we aren't talking about that? Because those are two players that thrived when they came to Dallas. But we don't highlight the failures in Montreal or, you know, well, not that a failure, but it's a disappointment. High expectations. Fans, yeah, sports fans in general, everything that's done positively for our team, and not everyone, I'm using hyper hyperbole, I know that, but most stuff that happens positively for our team, we think that, oh, we lucked into that. We don't think that there was a yes. Like it's 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 just like the, it's just like the whole the we we talk about the Nils Lundqvist Thomas Harley thing, right? Where we give the stars so much crap for how they're messing up Nils Lundqvist, and at the same time, where we give Thomas Harley, we give the stars, the team gets the blame, the player gets the credit. That happens all the time. Yeah. Right. And if something doesn't work, we blame the team. Must have been the team. Must have been the team. Must have been the team. It's never the player's fault, and. Part of that is it's easy to it's easy to uh to blame the team because the team represents the the suits and the GMs and the coaches, the people who who we don't buy their jerseys. So it's easy to blame the other people around them. When at the end of the day, players are responsible for their careers too. Um and there are Valnichushkin needed to be kicked in the ass. He got kicked in the ass. He figured it out credit to him but don't 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 act like he was gonna magically figure it out in dallas don't act like he was gonna mag it was magically gonna happen i mean if anything honestly if if jim nil doesn't buy out valnichushkin is jim nil still the gm here today i don't know because yeah. I, I don't know because he doesn't sign he doesn't sign joe pavelski the team doesn't then go on the run to the cup final uh, like honestly, I, I don't know if Jim Nill is still the GM here in Dallas if Val Nichushkin doesn't get he bought was out. On the hot seat. Like you think about the trickle down effect of all of this. So yeah. um I uh David, I await your rebuttal on Gavin's post-game <laughs> show tomorrow night. So Well, if he scores a hat trick, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure we'll uh talk about it. But you did mention Nils Lundquist, and it's good to see him yeah. back in the lineup, and I think he's played yes. well. Yes, he has. He has. Yeah. He has. So I mean and, and clearly good. Thomas Harley's playing well too. And it's great to see. You know, I looked at the minutes the other night prior to Montreal, um, and granted it was a blowout when it was 8-1, to one, but Lundqvist had 19 minutes, and Harley was up there with the most ice time and probably resting in. But at the same time, like, you know, it's good to see those guys getting minutes. And it is interesting that you're sitting Nils Lundqvist, but when you do play him, he gets a lot more, um, he gets a lot more minutes than Joel Hanley does. Yeah, I mean Joel Hanley is because uh, Joel Hanley doesn't play special teams, right? So, yeah, I guess that's why. Yeah, so. absolutely. So, really nice tilt tomorrow night. Excited. Uh, hopefully, the fans get into it. Hopefully, the team gives the reason for the fans to get into it. Uh, should be a uh, a fun Thursday evening. So, you wrote an article at Shap Shots, which I highly encourage people to subscribe to, in which you talked about the Winter Classic. And as far as what it is and what it's become, and I wanted to deep dive into that because I do make it a point um, to check. I I like the ceremonies. I like things, you know, but we are on a lot of years since that's begun. Yeah, I, I see. I still like the Winter Classic yep. a lot. And I, this is something where I made this was kind of noodling at me for a couple of days here as I was... Uh, whether to write this piece or not and everything, just because, and this is, for me, the Winter Classic is a spot where we no longer, I, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't have the national appeal anymore, right? And, um, like, if you look at the viewership, like, the first one in 2008, 4.85 million viewers or whatever, yeah. like, last year was, like, 1.7. Right. Um. And this year, whenever the numbers come out, it'll probably be similar to probably lower than that, honestly. And you need snow. Last, yeah. And it's it's the thing, though, Gavin, where it used to be a novelty, right? Yes. It used to be a novelty where it's like, oh, I'm it's an outdoor game. Yeah, I'm going to tune and watch. Now, yeah. I've there's been 40 game NHL have its 40th and 41st outdoor games this year. Anyone who, like, you don't need to see it on TV to, to experience the novelty of an outdoor game anymore. And to me, Outdoor games are now like basically local events. That's what they are. And that's fine. They're, they're still good. They, they make $5 million a pop for the league often at times. And um, 
and, and, and it's great and it helps bottom line revenue and everything like that. But it's why do I care? Why do I care? What, what, what do I need to care so much more about of a Vegas Seattle regular season game? It, it just doesn't bring what it used to for me and on television. Now, I've been to many outdoor I've been to a handful of outdoor games in person, Winter Classic and Dallas being the most being my favorite. Um and when you're there in person, it's different. I get that. And when you're yeah. there in person, but these have become local events. There's still two more outdoor games later this year. All of it really just kind of screams of figuring out what the next big thing is for hockey, I think. Because yes. I think the Winter Classic and outdoor games should be part of it. There should be more of them. I think every right. team should play that play and have played in at least one. And I think you should have three or four a year. I think that's fine. But I think the league has to stop trying to use it as a crutch as this is our big thing. This is our big thing we do because it's not big enough to be the big thing anymore. What if um, we go yeah. old school and right. people are going to be like, laugh, but this is true. <laughs> what if we go old CHL Dallas Blackhawks, Fort Worth Texans slash Wings, old school, and we take out the glass and install chicken wire. Kind of like a steel well, cage match. Do you know what the first outdoor game ever that featured an NHL team was? Oh. Wow. Oh. It was played, uh, let me get the exact date on here. It was on... February uh, 2nd, uh, 1954. Okay. Yeah. And it was between the Detroit Red Wings, and I'm not making this up. This is all true. The Detroit Red Wings went up to the UP and they played a team of prisoners from the Marquette prison. It was the longest yard, but on ice. Like, seriously, it was. Like, it was the. They went up there and they played a. it was the first, so the first outdoor game in NHL history was played between an original six team and a team of prisoners. Um, was it the, wow. And did the Red Wings win? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. the end of the first period. I got the box. So it was the end of the first period, um, was 18, nothing. The Red Wings were up 18, nothing at the end of the first period. <laughs> and one of the, uh, and one of the cooler things about it, and it's kind of one of those things, it's one of those games where I've, this game is a weird worm grab on my wormhole because it's one of those where I'd love to see real video of it. Yeah. So this game, the only people in attendance were like prison population. This wasn't for everyone else. This was like prison population watching this game. And uh, so in the game, um, so it's 18, nothing to end of the first period. And so at the end of the first period, they basically did an in the Red Wings won. this game's over. They did an in game draft. And so, you had uh basically you had Terry Sawchuck joined the prison team. Uh Ted Lindsay and Gordy Howe joined the prison team. Um and it was uh and it was basically there was it was you you had some of the best Red Wings play with these worst players and play against their teammates. And it's like wow. one of those like it's it's kind of like you hear the stories of like that dream team basketball. Yeah. Like like scrimmage of like those script the, the, the game the best game that no one ever saw. Yeah. Like I would have loved to see like Terry, like Ted Lindsay and Gordy Howe in their prime with Terry Sawcheck be like, okay, us and 15 inmates against the rest of the Red Wings. Right. Let's go. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. like, how, like how cool is that? Like that's, let's say we're going to go old school and you want to make the winter classic novelty again. Let's sleep. Let's bring back that. Format. Oh man. <laughs> we have to be careful as far as how they sharpen skates. Yes. <laughs> we, that would have to be heavily monitored. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, I I understand what you're saying. And I I do think it's still, I I think it has lost that special feeling. Um, I do like how they've just called a lot of these stadium series and, you know, it was talked about like, is it going to come back to Dallas? And I immediately started talking, you know, thinking about scheduling because with AT&T, you don't know where the Cowboys are going to end up. So a winter classic, you know, that would be tough. Because it's not like yeah. it's not like a concert where you can like for instance, they played the cotton bowl, then they changed everything, and then the cowboys played the next day. You can't do that with ice. No. So, you know, it needs to sit, it needs to be there for a bit. So yeah. you need a stadium that's not in use, and it does bring up Globe Life Field, which I think would be a really nice venue for it. 
Yeah, it's the question becomes, um, do you, you talk about the novelty and everything like that, like, Cotton Bowl was, it's so hard to live up to the bar of yes. what the Cotton Bowl is. Yes. And I think the, the stars are well aware of that, extremely well aware of that. And they are um, not really interested right now. And stars are not interested in another outdoor game right now as a uh, as a home team. As a guest, obviously, they'd be willing. I mean, the stars right now, they're quote-unquote, the internal NHL jargon that the league uses is tent pole events which means all-star game. Basically, like, if this whole league is a tent and the biggest biggest tent poles are holding it up, all-star game, Stanley Cup, uh, outdoor games, things like that, uh, um, international games, the biggest thing on the Stars' radar right now is and they, they want to be in that first game in Mexico. That is the bigger... That's the bigger thing on the Stars' radar. They're not really pushing nor caring whether they're involved in a future outdoor game right now. It's just the reality of it. Um, they're more interested in playing in Mexico City, and basically they're racing the Coyotes and the Golden Knights to uh, see who can. There's also a business aspect to this too. I mean, someone's going to get those sweet, sweet TV rights for Mexico, so that's going to be a, that's going to be something as well. Um, so that's where the stars are right now. It's more about playing in Mexico than playing outdoors, and um, I think they do end up playing there at some point. Yeah. Um, even probably be them versus the Coyotes. Um, um, be shocking if it wasn't the Coyotes. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I like outdoor games. I think it's great. Outdoor hockey is amazing. It's wonderful. Um, but to use the line I used in the story, outdoor games have become more like concerts than TV events. Yeah. It's just like, like imagine your favorite artist is going through, is just going on a concert tour. You don't really what ha care what happens when they played the night before in Omaha. All you care about is what happened when it was there in your town. So Right. And for those that don't recall, I did want to refresh because Sean also wrote a recent article about the anniversary of <laughs> <laughs> the calling out of Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan when Sean was called to go into the office along with a couple other beat writers who couldn't make mm -hmm. it. So <laughs> yeah. it was just uh, Sean and his recorder and taking it all in and what a massive explosion occurred. 95, no, I would say 95% of doing this job or doing the beat writer job when I the beat writer job, 95% of the beat writer job is just being able to show up when someone says, Hey, you got time to chat. That's what it is. 95% of the job, just show it up. And that's what that was. And uh, yeah, I, I, Five loved years it. Later. I, I read it and I loved it. I, I just, yeah. I love the recall and how you presented it. I thought it was a great article. Well, thank you very much. I yeah. appreciate that. And I put out on Twitter because when we say something on Spits and Suds, and if you notice, Sean always gives me homework. I never give him homework. <laughs> but Mr. Shapiro and I were talking and it organically came up because it, I don't know who the random name was, but we said, wouldn't it be fun if we just bring up random stars from the past, talk about them, what they're mm -hmm. doing now, et cetera. So... I put it out there on Twitter for future Spits and Suds episodes. Throw me your players. And you guys, the Spits and Suds faithful, man, did you come through. And it was so fun to see the thread, and I continue to get them. And it's so cool. And I think we're going to start it next week. But, yeah. I mean, we're talking Rob DeMaios, the James Neal, the Steve Otts, Antoine Roussel, Yuri Lettinen's, the Pat Verbeeks, the Alice Hemskys, the... Um, Sean Chambers, Brian Sotherby, Aaron Downey, uh, Sean Avery, Vern Fiddler, Roman Leashenko, um, Curtis McKenzie. You know, I mean, it's just, it was just, it's so much fun just to go down. And so I started, we'll talk about it next week. I started going down one of those rabbit holes and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was like great research to find out, having a little trouble what they're doing now. But, I mean, just some audio that I pulled that I'm really excited to present on next week's Spits and Suds. Yeah, it's going to be good. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we like to have fun, and it's interesting. Some of those names, you're just like, oh, my goodness. So, 
Just to let you know, we'll have episodes of Spits and Suds. We'll have a post game tomorrow. We have a Spits and Suds one timer on Friday. And uh, we'll probably likely have a Spits and Suds post game on Saturday as well. So lots of Spits and Suds episodes coming up. Once again, thank you for an awesome 2023. If you haven't heard the Eric Nadell that we finished the year with, uh, that was pretty cool learning about old time hockey. And Sean, did you know that not only was it chicken wire? but fans actually brought pens to the game and would poke through the chicken wire at the players. I did not know that. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, we think today's fans are bad, but I mean, that was pretty amazing. Yeah. So you got to check out hall of Famer Eric Nadell. He had some great hockey stories. In fact, he talks about the time he beat out doc Emmerich for a job because he drank and he was able to drink <laughs> with the coach and doc Emmerich wasn't a big drinker. So that's how he got the gig. He feels so pretty funny stories uh, from the past. And that's what we do on the spits and suds one timers. All right. Check out Sean that's at fun. EP ringside Shap shots D magazine, support the man. Thank you. As always, you're a beast. Took a lot of time today and we appreciate it. And I guarantee you people will take good stuff from this episode, Sean. I appreciate your confidence, Kevin. And thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to another edition of Spits and Suts. Have a great day.